The kingdom of darkness seeks to do nothing more than it seeks to snatch away the word from God's people. As the Messiah is here, strong man is here, and the false king, he is in the process of being ousted. Look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 12, verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's pretty plain. Jesus says, if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit, here's what that means. It means the kingdom is here. And it means your kingdom is done. The kingdom of darkness is done. God will allow the kingdom of darkness to continue to have power in the world. As Paul is going to talk about the, the God of this age. He will continue to allow the kingdom of darkness to have power in the world. And he will continue to allow the kingdom of darkness to harass his people as long as it suits God's ultimate good purpose, his ultimate wise and loving purpose. But beside that, the kingdom of darkness is bound as regards the church, as regards God's people. Jesus says plainly in Matthew 16, verse 18, this is my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. So this is sort of their last ditch effort that they are throwing, that they are throwing at the kingdom of light here, which kind of helps us as we think through this. When we think about demonic possession, I think that most of us would, would, if we're honest, would say, I'm not sure that I've ever really seen that. I've never really seen that. You hear stories and whatnot. But when we think of demonic possession in the modern world, what do we think of? We think of those instances that we've heard about on the mission field, right? That's where you hear about demonic possession in the modern world. Well, the same thing would be true when when we think of demonic possession in the mission field. Because just as Messiah has now come and the demonic world is saying, this is our last ditch effort, so also when there's a culture that's been in darkness without the presence of the church, without the presence of the truth, without the presence of the light, and here comes a family who belongs to the light and they're here to preach the truth and they're here to establish a church, so also the kingdom of darkness is going to say the same thing. They're here. The kingdom of light is here. The king whom we cannot defeat is here. His people are here. And so I think that's the same reason why we often hear missionaries tell the stories of, of demonic possession on the mission field because the kingdom of darkness is experiencing the same thing in those cultures as in Israel here. So this demonic realm, as we said, prefers to work unnoticed presenting their subjects as, as normal and successful, talented, attractive, desirable by the world. Because even as Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. All right, so I think that's how we should view demonic possession, both in the scriptures and when we might hear of occurrences today, when we might hear occurrences of occurrences in the modern world. It's not a representation of the apex of the power of darkness. It's a representation of the desperation of the power of darkness. So as we think about this and, and we think about just 
demonic possession and how it seems to be all over the place in the Gospels, yet absent in the rest of the Scriptures, and for all intents and purposes, absent in the life, at least in the first world, absent in the life of the church today. Again, it's absent in the, the epistles. God saw no reason to instruct His church in any way about what they should do when they encounter demon-possessed people. There's not one word of instruction in the epistles. Here's what you do. The church is never said to have the gift of casting out demons. The church is never said to have people that are gifted in this way. Instead, what we see today is not so much demon possession, but demon influence, persuasion, so to speak. But what does the scriptures tell us in fact, are the only directive that the scriptures give us to counter this for the forces of darkness that may come against us. What's the only thing the scriptures say to us, plain and simple, that we are to do to counter this kingdom of darkness? The only thing the scriptures have to say to us is pray. As Jesus is going to say a little bit later in Mark's gospel, this kind is only cast out by prayer. So if you might feel that you're under attack, if you might feel that the kingdom of darkness is bringing attack against you, then that's what the scriptures tell, tell you to do. Pray. Because that power will be nullified only by another. And so what we're to do is ask for that help from another. Nowhere, nowhere are we told that believers are to go around binding Satan. Do not fall for that nonsense. This nonsense of casting out demons and binding Satan and binding evil spirits, don't fall for that. Nowhere do the scriptures tell us that that's what we're to be doing. Nowhere do the scriptures tell us how to bind a demon or bind an evil spirit or cast out Satan. Nowhere do the epistles tell us that God gifts the church in any way. Nowhere does the, do the epistles tell us that God raises up people in the church with the power of casting out demons. In fact, this whole, the whole Roman Catholic thing of exorcism, it's a farce. Don't fall for that. The powers of darkness love for the people of God to fall for silliness like that, like going around and, and binding evil spirits and whatnot. The scriptures tell us that when we feel that we are under attack from the enemy, pray. Commit it to the one who has already defeated those powers. Commit it to the only one who has authority and power over them. And that's what we are to do. So what are we to consider that the kingdom of darkness, what, what do they do? They, we don't see possession, but we do see persuasion. We do see influence. We do see a lot of activity. Again, the epistles speak to us often of the work of the kingdom of darkness, of the activity of the kingdom of darkness. So what these demons do, their job is, as, as we said earlier, Satan cannot be everywhere. He's not omnipresent. And so he must rely on the work of these demonic beings. And what is their work? What is their method? What do they seek to do? What are their goals? Their goal is obviously to counter the kingdom of light with their kingdom of darkness. But how do they do this? The scriptures tell us in one, one specific place, an incredibly helpful passage of scripture that teaches us what it is that demons seek to do to oppose the kingdom of light. If you are a child of, of Christ, we know that 
that the enemy cannot possess something that belongs to Christ, so, so they can't possess us. But nevertheless, they can seek to influence us or seek to persuade us. How do they do that? What is their modus operandi, so to speak? The parable of the sower is an incredibly helpful passage of Scripture to help us think through this. So you remember the parable of the sower. There's the sower, and he's throwing out the seeds, and there's four kinds of soils. And so you remember how Jesus tells that parable, and there's one, one soil that's the hard soil, the rocky soil, the packed tight soil. And the seed just sort of falls on that soil, and Jesus says, the birds come and snatch it away. And then you remember later when Jesus is explaining the parable, he says, that's the enemy, that's Satan. He comes, and before the seed has a chance to germinate, he snatches it away. He says this in Mark chapter 4, verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the, where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. That is probably the central main methodology of the forces of demons to oppose the kingdom of light, to seek to snatch away the word. In fact, right now, as, we, as I am speaking, the kingdom of darkness is at work to seek to snatch away the word that is scattered, sown, before it has opportunity to germinate into life. That's exactly what the kingdom of darkness seeks to do always, is to snatch that word away. That is their main method of attack against the kingdom of light. So how do they go about that? How do they? Because obviously Jesus is using word pictures here. There's they're not actual birds, and the word's not our actual seed, and our heart is not an actual ground. So how is it that they seek to snatch away the word? Well, the parable goes on to tell us. The parable goes on to tell us that, first of all, they seek uh, to cause uh, us to, or to cause the word not to germinate by appealing to human vanity and pride to human desire for comfort, to human desire for safety, by appealing to the flesh. Take a look at verse 17, Mark chapter 4. And they have no root in themselves, says Jesus, but endure for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So there's word that didn't germinate, that didn't take root. And the reason is because there was this persecution, there was this threat of discomfort, of displeasure, of pain, of suffering, of harm, of tribulation. And the enemy used that to snatch away the word. So the enemy will appeal to the human desire for comfort, the human desire to escape suffering, the human desire for uh, pleasure, just like in the garden. Remember in the garden, it's the same way that the serpent comes to Eve to snatch away the word. Did God really say that? Did God really say you can't eat of any fruit and tree or any tree of the garden? Did God really say that? See, he's snatching away the word. And how does he snatch the way, away the word? He appeals to her vanity. He appeals to her pride. You can be like God. You can, like God, know good and evil so that you don't need to rely on him. You see, the same tactic that the serpent uses is the same tactic that the enemy uses today. He appeals to human vanity. He appeals to human pride. 
Verse 19 of that same parable, Jesus says, The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in, and they do what? Choke the word. The kingdom of darkness seeks to do nothing more than it seeks to snatch away the word from God's people. So they do that. They also will use the tactic of using one of their greatest weapons, and that is the fear of death. Take a look at the words of the writer to the Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, meaning Jesus, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The fear of death is one of the greatest tools, one of the greatest powers that the kingdom of darkness has to yield against, or to wield, I should say, to wield against the kingdom of light, the fear of death. So how does the kingdom of darkness use this fear of death? It uses it, I think, primarily in two ways. One is to convince us that there's really no judgment coming after the death. That there's, there's really no judgment coming afterwards. That death is really just the end of existence, maybe. Or this judgment thing really isn't to be worried about all that much, you know, because the, the people that are good people, the people that, are, that we like, they're all in heaven, right? Isn't that the way we think? The people that we like, the people that we, we respect, they're all in heaven. And so there's really no judgment that's coming after this. Or there's really nothing at all because death is just the end of existence, or they use that fear in this way or in other ways. That's one of their most powerful tools. So those are two things that they seek to snatch away the word and they seek to take this, this fear of death to manipulate and to hold sway over us. So can we really believe in all this demonic stuff anyway? Can we really believe in this demonic realm? Or is this, as you've often heard, everybody in the room has heard this, is this just primitive ancient people just trying to describe what they couldn't understand because they didn't have science and medicine and they would see someone having an epileptic fit and they would say, oh, that's a demon. Is, is this what we're seeing in the scriptures? Or do we really have reason to believe that the gospel writers, when they describe a demon-possessed person, they really are describing a demon-possessed person? And furthermore, are we to think that all illnesses, I know some people who think this way, that all illnesses are caused by demons, particularly mental illnesses, all are caused by demons. Is that what we're, we're to think? No on both counts. And here's why. The scriptures show us very clearly and very plainly that the gospel writers understood the difference between sicknesses and illnesses, both physical and mental, and demonic possession. You see, just because the gospel writers lived a long time ago doesn't mean they were stupid. And it doesn't mean that they were naive. But they show us that they clearly understood that there was demon possession and there's physical illness. There's demon possession and there's mental illness. They may not have had all the science and all the modern medicine at their disposal to understand and explain all those illnesses, but they nevertheless understood that they were two different things 
And they always described them in such terms as to show us plainly that they weren't just categorizing everything all together. Let me show you from chapter 4, verse 24 of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 4, and verse 24. This is something that we're going to see in the scriptures over and over. About a dozen times, we're going to see the same or similar formula. It goes like this. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all those sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. You see that? Matthew seems to understand, you know, there are those who suffer from seizures. There are those who are paralyzed. There are those who are sick. And then there's those who are possessed by demons. That same formula, again, will show up about 12 times in the Gospels where something to the effect is said that Jesus went and he healed the sick, he restored sight to the blind, and he cleansed the lepers and he cast out demons. Now, how did the gospel writers know the difference between someone who suffered from seizures and someone who was possessed by a demon that manifested himself in seizures? Because it was spiritually discerned to them. The Holy Spirit discerned to them. This is not a normal epileptic. This is one possessed of demons. And that manifestation of demons in his life is is being manifested, is being expressed in epileptic seizures. This other one over here is just having seizures. But the Spirit showed that to them. The Spirit told them plainly. And so clearly, as they give these instances in which Jesus goes here and does this and does that, clearly they are differentiating in their mind the difference between someone who's blind and someone who has a demon who's causing blindness. So the gospel writers weren't so simple-minded as to say, we don't understand this, so we're just going to attribute it all to demons. Instead, they were sophisticated enough to know there are demons who manifest their presence in physical illnesses, and there's physical illnesses that aren't caused by demons. So we can have confidence as we read in the Scriptures that Jesus encountered one possessed of demons and cast the demon out. So now, having said all that, I I think that those are some helpful things to, to sort of put into our mind as we think about the kingdom of darkness. But remembering Paul's words, of course, we're not here to talk about the kingdom of darkness. There's no life in talking about demons, is there? There's no hope in talking about demons. It is helpful to understand their methodology and their attacks. It is helpful to understand the type of authority that Jesus is exerting over this kingdom of darkness that's on its way out. That's helpful. But at the end of the day, every look that we take toward a demon, we want to take 10,000 looks to Jesus. 